Hi, folks. This is Andrew Stelzer. If you get our program through iTunes, please go there and rate us so that other people can find the show. And if you're on our website, radioproject.org, please click on the donate button so that you can support this work and help us keep making great shows like this one. All right. Thanks. Here's the show. There's something healing about being able to go back into African histories and see what we are capable of. Afrofuturism is a genre movement rooting elements of science fiction and fantasy in traditions from Africa and the diaspora. And its popularity as a form of resistance is on the rise. But Afrofuturist concepts have been prevalent in music and literature since the 1950s. You've got jazz musician Sun Ra and authors Samuel R. Delaney and Octavia Butler. The Surrealists believed that you have to first change your dreams in order to change the world. And I feel that that's what speculative fiction, any kind of speculative fiction, people writing, black comics, they're imagining a better world. They're dreaming a better world, a different world. And I realized that's what I wanted to spend my life doing. On this episode, authors Nalo Hopkinson, Nettie Okorafor and Jewel Gomez sit down with John Jennings at the San Francisco Public Library as part of the 2016 Black Comics Festival. They discuss the role of Afrofuturist thought in the modern context and the importance of allowing ourselves to imagine. I'm your guest host, Charlotte Landis, and you're listening to Making Contact. I sit down to write, I don't think I'm an Afrofuturist writer, I'm going to write an Afrofuturist whatever. Nalo Hopkinson. I'll happily claim the adjective. It happened after I started writing. It is a label that people use to, to try and pull together uh, a, a pattern that they're seeing. And in, in so much as what it is, it's useful. But... Um, it, and it is also not as simple as I'm just a writer. Of course, I'm not just a writer. I am everything that I am. Um, but the Afrofuturism part, is it, it's got to be somewhere else when I write, or it will stop me. Um, I'm writing science fiction fantasy, so there's a lot of research that goes into it, and a lot of not just research, but theorizing, because, of course, the history books leave stuff out. So you have to imagine yourself into those places. Um, I'm researching the future, I'm researching the past, I'm researching uh, black history, Caribbean history, white history. I barely stayed awake through a history class when I was in school. And now, if you look at my shelves, that stuff is all over the place. And I discover the more I go into it, the more I realize that human beings are human beings. Um, you can reach back into the, the very beginning of time when human beings are human beings, and, and we aren't that different. Uh, and there's something, there's something healing about being able to go back into African histories and African cultures and African ways of life and, and, and see that um, what we are capable of, which, you know, you know, but to see it proven over and over and over and over again as the centuries go by and the centuries go forward. I definitely look into, into my past. 
Nnedi Okorafor. I am um, what I consider Niger-American, which means Niger is slang for Nigerian, and I'm American. So Nigerian-American, I was born and raised in this country, um, but from a young age, my parents were taking me back to uh, my siblings and I back to Nigeria to reconnect with our heritage, reconnect with our family. Most of our family is there. Um, and so, and then also just being Nigerian American in the house, within that culture, within the Igbo culture, um, those, those old traditions and ways have seeped into who I am as well. So those all manifest themselves. My Nigerian Americanness definitely manifests itself in my work. Um, I deal a lot with the, the traditional spiritualities, especially of the Igbo people, but of other parts of, other parts of the continent as well. Um, one example are masquerades. Masquerades show up in my, in my works a lot. Masquerades are found in many different African cultures, but I have like, a lot of, a lot of what I write about comes from personal experience. So my personal experience with masquerades, masquerades are like, um, they're manifestations of the dead and the ancestors and spirits. And they look, they can look in, there are many different types. Um, some can look very monstrous, like, you know, just raffia in cloth that they look, can look like monsters. And those are the ones that I've been obsessed with. And so yeah. as a, when I was a kid, whenever we'd go back to Nigeria, they, the masquerades would come out around Christmas time, which is, that's a whole other issue, just, um, they come out around Christmas time, and because my sisters and I were um, American Nigerians, they would harass us the most. <laughs> so, and they would literally chase us down the street. Okay, they would chase it. They had like a whip, and they would whip people, and they would chase us down the street with the whip. And luckily, we were fast, so we weren't caught too many times. <laughs> so, and so when I think back, I'm like, okay. And, and a lot of times we would outrun them. And so I, when I think back, I'm like, oh, I was outrunning the spirits. Mm -hmm. And so in my own stories, you get, you, you see the masquerades show up a lot in my stories, and they show up in a way where, um, they show up in the way that I imagined them, because I've seen the really big, terrifying ones at weddings, and like, all the women just run to the other side of the room. It's just, <laughs> it's really, it's really quite epic. And um, in my stories, because I'm writing speculative fiction, I can imagine those masquerades the way I see them, which is as, they're not these, they're not, people, or men in particular, dressed up in these elaborate costumes who then take on the ancestor or the spirit, they are that creature. Mm. And so in my stories, I can do that. I can show them that way. And I have a lot of fun with it. So, so yeah, so do, do look in the past. <laughs> I would love to hear if, if people have specifics about what prompted them to write their first. Jewel Gomez. Because I, mine was based on a very specific incident that happened to me in the mid-80s. Does anybody here remember telephone booths? <laughs> okay. Um, I was in a telephone booth at the corner of my street. I guess my phone wasn't working or I had rebelled and not paid the bill. But uh, so I was in the phone booth and these two guys walked by me and went into their whole thing. Oh, baby, let me suck your blah, 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 blah. And I want to do this to you. And oh, you're looking so good as if that would interest me, their opinion. <laughs> and I was talking to my friend, Marianne, and she said, what's going on? I said, hold on a second. I turned and looked at them and I said, please go away. <laughs> and then I turned back to Marianne. Well, of course they didn't go away. They just went on and on. I said, hold on. I turned around, I said, mother I will 
kill you if you don't get a f with me. <laughs> and one of the guys said, this is crazy. And the other guy was just like, kept on going. I said, yes, I am crazy and I will kill you. And use a lot of that language that my grandmother had asked me not to use. Um, and the one guy dragged the other guy away. And this was on West End Avenue and 93rd Street in Manhattan. My adrenaline had gone through my body like crazy. I was so happy there was nothing at hand for me to pick up. Because right. they keep West End Avenue kind of clean. <laughs> um, so my friend, Marianne, I heard her screaming, Jewel, 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 because she thought I, I was killing someone. <laughs> and um, so I said, Marianne, I can't talk. I have to go home. I can't talk. So I went home, and I caught my breath, and I sat down, and I wrote the first Gilda story. Mm. Yeah. And it was a woman walking in on the street, and a guy does that to her, and of course she kills him. Um, so, <laughs> I'm so going to use that when I teach and the other stories. Doss is his body in the river. So I, I decided I better use my powers for good. Um, Please. And, uh, and over time, you know, evolved the, the vampire mythology, because that's really what I, I realized I was working on, uh, so that she didn't have to kill people and developed a whole philosophy around it. So that fit into my political, mm -hmm. social political philosophy mm -hmm. as a lesbian feminist. And I felt like, um, you know, the surrealists believed that you have to first change your dreams in order to change the world. Right. And I feel that that's what speculative fiction, any kind of speculative fiction, people writing, black comics, they're imagining a better world. They're dreaming a better world, a different world. Um, and I realized that's what I wanted to spend my life doing as opposed to, you know, killing people yeah. on the street. <laughs> I keep going back to Walter Mosley, who you may or may not know, uh, mm. has written science fiction novels and short stories. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. All right. And, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase him, but he basically said, we we need a better world, and in order to have a better world, in order to make it, we first need to be able to imagine it. Mm -hmm. um, and also Samuel R. Delaney, um, mentor of mine, who said, we need visions of the future, and our people need them more than most. Mm -hmm. So, That's right. yeah, That's right. it was true then, <laughs> true now. Um, and so there is very much a, a connection. Uh, and I, I sort of also think, yeah, the, the work is there. The work needs to be done. It's desperate. But we also need to be able to enjoy, mm. to have fun, to have imagination, to have passion, because why else right. are we doing this? So I think we also need to give ourselves permission to enjoy. The, the work is there, and we will do it. Um, so there's very much a connection between allowing ourselves to imagine, mm -hmm. allowing ourselves to think that we get to, like anybody else, have fun, mm -hmm. uh, and using that to fuel the vision of what it is we're trying to make. Um, sometimes I just want to write strange stories set in strange places. The, the, my own reality will always seep into those stories. Um, 
but I, I want to hold on to the fact that, that we get to do all of it. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the word um, using uh, these narratives for social justice, mm -hmm. and I'm very resistant to that. Yeah. Um, because I know that when I sit down and to write something, I'm not thinking that, okay, I wanna make this point you know, this is something I want to show the world about whatever. Mm -hmm. um, when, when, when it comes down to it, when I sit down to write, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just, just letting it flow. I'm very, a very subconscious writer where oftentimes I don't even have an outline. Mm -hmm. I don't even know who the character is. I'll just sit down and just start. And whatever is flowing through me is what will flow through me. So um, the idea of, of using the narrative for something is foreign to me. I, I mean, I understand other other writers, other artists who operate like that, but for me, I definitely don't. But I do know that I'm very much a political person. So those ideas and 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 my what I want to see, the changes that I want to see, and the things that I want to do and want to see done, those are already there. Those are things that I might have conversations about when I'm not writing. But when I sit down to write, those things come through in in a more um, a more indirect way. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I, I deal with, my, my books tend to be very political, and it's not, it's not that I sat down and thought, okay, I want to write this political story. It's right. just that they are because I am. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would say the same. I think I might be a little more conscious of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, I don't think I start out to write agitprop, uh, but having come of age, you know, in the civil rights movement, the black arts movement, all of the work that people was, were doing um, was an expression of uh, liberation and opening new worlds to us, the worlds of blackness. So I think I started writing in a very conscious way about blackness, the same as, uh, as being a feminist. I started writing very consciously about women and how women are placed in the world. At the same time, I don't want to write a tract, right. you know, of so course. people will just, you know, snore. Um, but I think though, having come of age in those particular movements make me much more conscious of it as I'm doing it. And I think that's one of the interesting things for this, um, going from African-Americans saying, how dare you write a vampire novel with African-Americans in it? How could you do that? How could you mm -hmm. connect those things? Um, to you know, 25 years later, as my vampire novel is about to have its 25th anniversary, wow. um, and a new edition, um, to see the community come full circle and say, yeah. oh yeah, we're going to claim this and we're going to give it its own name, Afrofuturism. <laughs> you know, it's really <laughs> great. Um, and, and in part, I think that's because the political evolution on campuses, mm -hmm. uh, in communities, uh, poor, poor communities who are starting to understand their economics has to be uh, taken in their own hands. Right. They can't wait for the government to fix it. Um, that racism, sexism, 
any of the isms really need to be in our hands, how we fight them need to be in our hands. And I think that is a sign of hope, and I think that's one of the reasons that our writing has started to spread out into these fields, into black comics, into Afrofuturism, and other speculative fictions. I think it's a sign of hope. You're listening to Afrofuturist Authors on Making Contact. Nalo Hopkinson is the author of nine books, from Brown Girl in the Ring to the Nebula Award-winning Sister Mine. Nettie Okorafor writes African-based science fiction for both children and adults, including the Nebula and Hugo Award-winning Binti series and Akata Warrior. And Jewel Gomez is a writer, activist, and the author of the double Lambda Award-winning novel, The Gilda Stories. Her dream play, Waiting for Giovanni, is about James Baldwin. For more information about these authors, visit the Making Contact website, radioproject.org, where you'll also find past episodes. You can sign up for news about upcoming shows, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at making underscore contact. You can also find us on Instagram at making contact radio project. Please rate us on iTunes. It helps other people find us. Now let's rejoin the conversation as our three authors discuss the monsters that have captured their imagination and what they hope to see in the future of Afrofuturism. Mine, uh, I'm sitting here trying to figure out why this monster is so central to so many of my stories. There, there are two. One of them is Godzilla. And, and this is why I'm sitting here trying to figure out, okay, because Godzilla has shown up in many of my um, stories in various ways. And uh, I, I know that if someone were to just ask me without intellectualizing it, why do I like Godzilla? It's Godzilla's destructive nature. Godzilla comes out of the water and just destroys <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason, just comes out, destroys, ah, destroys everything, <laughs> and then goes back into the water. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. There's something about it. Um, and it may have something to do with my obsession with post-apocalyptic narratives as well, okay. this idea of everything being destroyed, you know, and then, and then having to, to deal with that. Mm -hmm. um, it also may have to do with my anger issues. I don't know. <laughs> Get it somewhere. All right. a, lot of, a lot of rage. Um, the second monster, it's not really a monster. Um, it's, it's just this, this, this entity that has shown up consistently in my works now. It's, it's in Lagoon, and it's in, um, it's in Akatowicz Part 2 as well. Um, and it's this spider. It's this, this, this giant spider that is, its name is Udide which means spider in Igbo. The first time I, the spider kind of, the idea of the spider showed up in one of my stories, it was in my story called Spider the Artist, uh, which deals with the Niger Delta, where you've got like these, it's set in the near future, where you have these, the, the government and the oil companies have created these robot spiders to 
guard the pipelines, the oil pipelines in Nigeria, can prevent people from bunkering. And these spiders, of course, they kill anyone who touches them. They just tear them to shreds so that they can guard the oil. So um, th that's sort of another story. But but this this spider um, is I, it's not a Nazi. I know that. I'm terrified of spiders. I don't know why. It's an irrational fear. And um, so spiders have always shown up in my stories, but this particular large one, it lives underneath the city of Lagos, and it, it, it turns onto its back and, and feels the vibrations of the people. Mm. And it's a monstrous spider, and it, it weaves and creates stories and narrative and controls everything. It's just... Yeah, so that's that's my second spider. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Okay, so I want to stop and read that story like right now. Yeah. What? Okay. Um, well, I, I guess my monster started out as those two guys on the street, mm. and has evolved to uh, any figures that prey upon people who are less, um, you know, powerful. Right. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons I was interested in doing vampire stories because Dracula is such a pervasive mythology, such a pervasive character, and insidious because he's charming and he's a serial killer. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you go back to the original ones, that he um, you know seduces women and kills them, and Everybody is like excited. Dracula's coming over, you know. I'm like, is it? So that really fascinated me that people would find this such a, a romantic figure in such a predatory figure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day I went with my mother and grandmother to see the f play Dracula mm -hmm. on Broadway. We left that and went to see the movie wow. with Frank Langella, which was playing in Times oh, Square, yeah, yeah, that one. same yeah. time. And we were in conversation about that for hours. Like, how could he be so sexy and be such a killer? Right. Um, so that really set me up to work on how to redo the mythology mm -hmm. so that I felt like a vampire could be heroic and not a predator, not a serial killer. Um, and in this new book that I'm working on, it's about the society becoming predatory, mm -hmm. using people who are empathic, using people who have certain kinds of um, skills, wow. artistic skills, mm -hmm. and making them work for the government, segregating them into patches so they only associate with people who are doing what they do, wow. and... Um, how to escape that. So it's, it, it really is, the monster is really is uh, those who prey on less powerful people. It is Stagoli, it is Papa Legba, it mm. is the issue. It is the, that tall, lean man, dark man in the top hat yes. who knows more about the dark in you than you do and, and knows that you want it. What I'd like to see and what I think is going to, we're going to see more and more African writers from the continent, That's right. mm. you know, writing um, Afrofuturist um, uh, stories. And I think that 
that the change that I've seen, because I've had a lot of interaction um, uh, with, with especially, especially Nigerian um, writers, and what I remember from maybe about, I'd say maybe about 10 years ago, there, there was this general attitude of um, what is real literature, and science fiction and fantasy and speculative mm. fiction were not considered real literature, and, and what was considered real literature were like things fall apart, you know, serious writing without any of that weird stuff going on right. in it. But I think that we'll see more, um, more Africans directly from the continent writing um, this, kind of, this kind of literature, and I think that, that what, what they write is going to have like a, a different flavor as well, and 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 what I what I also would like to see in terms of Afrofuturism is just more uh, diversity mm. in the types of writing. I'd like to see um, I'd like to see female writers, um, uh, writers with disabilities, just more just more variety within Afrofuturist writing. Right. That's that's what I'm waiting to see because right now it's so the it, it's so small. You know, and it's it's slowly building. It's slowly building, and it's increasing and and um, and and growing. But I, I'd like to see more of that, and I'd also like to see really uh, an extremely successful Afrofuturist writer, extremely successful, as in like like best-selling status, yes. who's yeah. mediocre. Wow. <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. 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 Is really an easy way for a large population to find themselves and find their politics. Mm. Any kind of genre fiction, whether it's detective stories, whether it's cartoons, um, whether it's a romance, I know you find that hard to believe, <laughs> but any kind of genre fiction can get away with telling a political story. And if it's a genre fiction, more different kinds of people are going to read it because they, they feel like, oh, this is just going to be fun. And then when they finish, they realize, oh, oh wow, wow, I thought about that. That was right. deep. <laughs> and whoa. And you know, you saw Star Trek do it with issues around race. Um, we see all kinds of TV speculative fiction shows introduce complex ideas. And I think the more of us who write, and start writing younger, the more complex ideas we will put in genre fiction, and the more of us who will read them and become increasingly conscious of our political surroundings. I hope it gives more people permission to know that they can imagine and that they can make stories. I mean, um, I think the three of us were at Astro Blackness a mm -hmm. uh, few months ago, and there's a young woman in the audience, black woman, who um, also loved horror and didn't think she could write it because she kept imagining black characters until she found um, an ARC, an advanced reading copy of one of Octavia Butler's novels on the streetcar or whatever they do in LA. Mm. Um, 
and then it was like her imagination broke open and now she's writing. Um, and it, it cuts to my heart that somebody thinks that because they've never seen it, they can't do it. Um, so that's where I would hope it's going, is that, that more of us have just sort of know that they, we can stand up and make what we imagine. Listening to writers Nalo Hopkinson, Nettie Okorafor, and Jewel Gomez. A big thank you to the San Francisco Public Library for recording. For more information on Afrofuturist literature, follow the links at our website, radioproject.org. And we want to hear from you. What's your radical dream for the future? Have your say at radioproject.org. Or join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at making underscore contact or Instagram at Making Contact Radio Project. Thanks for music from Anatech. The Making Contact team includes Lisa Rudman, Monica Lopez, Anita Johnson, Vera Tykolsker, Salima Hamarani, and I'm Charlotte Landis. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.